podcast this week, we are across the podcast verse as we talk to the stars of Spider-Man, Across the Spider-Verse, Daniel Kaluuya, Shamik Moore and Haley Steinfeld. Plus, we talk to the Carmen Chameleon herself, Melissa Barrera. All that and more on the movie podcast that is going to be more careful pruning the hedges of many small villages from now on. Or should I say... James Dyer is going to be more careful, aren't we, James Dyer? <sighs> yes, yes, we are. We'll explain why in a second. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast this week. We're back in the studio. We were last week. I don't know why I pointed that out, but we're in the studio this week, and I'm joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara is here, resplendent in green. Hello, Helen. Hello, hello. Yes. How are you? I'm good. I'm slightly dressed up, slightly. Why are you dressed up, Helen? I am speaking at the BFI tonight about Howard Hawks, and specifically Hawksian women, because he had some good female characters. I mean, it's a low bar, but... By the south, Love he, Howard he, Hawks. You're speaking to the BFI. Will you be bringing him snozcumbers? <laughs> okay, that's the BFG. It's a really, really close um, comparison, I admit. Right. But as a film journalist, I kind of feel like you should know the other one. Is that too. the big friendly Italian? It's the big friendly Italian. <laughs> do you know any big friendly Italians? Had a mushroom. <laughs> no, I don't think. Oh, actually, I do. I went to I went to university with a guy called Andrea, who is six foot six. Six foot six. Yeah, that's really, half the size of Jason Momoa. All <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyway, we're also joined by James Dyer, or should I or say, most of, him. most of him. Our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer, is now a great big, great little <laughs> fucking nerd. Smaller yeah. nerd uh, yeah. Because you've had a mishap, haven't you, Jimbo? I have. Look, as, as you will both know, I was declared excommunicado a couple of weeks ago after that incident in Beirut. Now, I went to see the elder, he let me back in, but he demanded a sacrifice. And so, <laughs> I had to give him one of my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now back in the family though, so it's fine. Alternatively, you, you were an absolute prat when you were uh, gardening your, your, your hedge. I was trimming my hedges. You were trimming your no hedge. Euphemism. Not Yeah, this is not about pubic topery. No, I was um, not manscaping. I was no. actual landscaping. Yes. Yeah. And then what happened? Well, one of my fingers, having been told specifically where to stand, did not, and may or may not have gotten the wrong end of my, frankly, very new, very sharp pair of secateurs. Mm. And was, I ha, experienced a rapid, unplanned disassembly. Yeah, and, and so, so as a result, my left arm is now about half a centimetre shorter than my right arm because I, I snipped off the end of my finger. Oh no. my god! Which was, which was, which was not ideal. Uh, it fell in the flower bed. It is probably still in the flower bed because I didn't have the heart to go looking for it. Maybe Sebastian um, the Hedgehog has munched on it. It's already. possible. It's possible. I firmly believe it's now grown into some kind of sentient horror beast and like become Audrey too. Audrey too <laughs> eats eats flesh. Well, maybe that's what'll happen. Oh my Maybe goodness. my Jasmine feed me Jimbo. Into, uh, feed me all night long. Form. Yeah. Um, so her bled like a motherfucker. And <laughs> there you yep. go. To be clear, we did give James some sympathy all fair, but that, that time has passed now. We that did. time has passed, <laughs> and uh, now, and now we're into mockery. I'll do the fingering. Yes, yes, I will not be doing the fingering. Sorry. Love life ruined. <laughs> Which hand was it? Left hand. Okay. It's my swearing finger, though, which is actually quite... It's a swearing finger. It is, look, see, look. There you go. There we go. See, I'm he, flipping he, you the bandaged bird. He's so bad, he knocked the microphone as he did that. I did, yeah, I did, sorry. He's lost a bit of himself. It's like yeah. watching... It's like when I inevitably, as will happen at the end of this week, I spit lower myself into the steel, this finger will be left pointing <laughs> above, above the molten steel. 
Just giving you the finger. I wish we had a question about the best bits in movies where <laughs> body parts are lopped off liberally. I don't think I could put a chainsaw on this finger. I don't think it would fit. So I couldn't mm. go full Ash in Evil Dead 2. Do you have a, a, any good garden shears moments that spring to mind? There's a Oh, absolutely. Commando, because yeah. he dispatches at least 18 people with various <laughs> gardening implements, like circular saws, axes. I don't know. Tyler Rake has got it. I mean, he kills a man with a rake, doesn't he? He does, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it totally happens. Yeah. And there is that circular saw bit in Freaky, which I rewatched recently. Freaky. Yes, that is. Freaky. Yeah. 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 Of course, uh, the Equalizer. Of course. Denzel, Denzel. At the end of the Equalizer. Uh, the first one, of course. Yeah, basically just uh, turns his his branch of B&Q into, uh, you know. Oh, the Battle of B&Q. Love the it. The Battle of B&Q into uh, being kill, being yeah. killed. Being, uh, I don't know. I, uh, I enjoyed very much bloody. that the Battle of B&Q was released opposite John Wick's. It was, yes. Oh. It was, yeah. Oy. There's no home base related. Well, no, it is his home base. That's so true, it is his home base. So he lures works. the bad guys to it and then brutally fucks got? them up with, <laughs> with gardening tools. Deep, it's, it's wild. Deeply prunes them. The, yeah. the burning, the burning, of course. Cropsy, the, the bad guy from the burning, his his uh, weapon of choice is a pair of, of shears. And he, he uses it to cut people's fingers off and hands off and stab them and well, do all sorts. Bear in mind, Fry I did him, this literally... Literally the day after I reviewed The Master Gardener on this very podcast, <laughs> where he talks about <laughs> wow. taking secateurs it's, and cutting off people's it's fingers. It's like 10,000 spoons <laughs> yeah, when all you need is a knife. It really is. I'm, it's I'm not, like I'm meeting not saying, the man of my dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife. Yeah, and who turns out to be Joel Edgerton, who turned up at my house with a pair of secateurs and frankly cut off my finger. <laughs> what is it? What is a secateur? To be clear, as a secateur, as your, as your you, you don't know what a secateur is. They're like, they're basically the, the, I know, you know what a the non-secateur is, but yes, I don't know what a secateur is. A non-secateur. They look like... Like scissors on steroids. Yeah, it's what he held up. It's yeah. what he literally what so he So it's like a spring between the yeah. two things and you hold them like in your they're, hand and they're squeeze. They're like, they're like those things that you use to build up strength in your fingers for your guitar playing. Which, oh, yeah. Which I can no longer do. Which, which no longer in many do. ways is a public service, I, I feel. Mean, yeah. So this could have been the universe intervening to stop because we had a thing on the Pilot TV podcast where Kay was saying that if we reached a certain number of five star reviews, I had to play toss a coin to your Witcher on the guitar. Now the universe I mean, clearly did not want that to happen and has <laughs> mutilated me. Yes, by not result. giving you five star reviews. <laughs> <laughs> there was an easier and shorter way to ensure that didn't happen, Jimbo. I mean that's fair. But uh, cutting off your your finger, mutilating yourself. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. This cover story of yours is beginning to to leak. There's holes in this cover story. I, I feel, though, spoiler for the prestige, that you and I should go, you know, out of, out of sympathy, you and I should go full full Christian Bell, and you should also, both of you, oh, cut off the same parts you. of your fingers so that we're yeah, all pod twins. no. I think that's really the decent thing to do. Yeah. I mean, we already don't look that much alike, <laughs> if I'm honest. Hey, it's not going to help with Me and Chris are basically tricks. interchangeable. Uh, yeah, we have, we, have, we have similar accents, I guess, Helen, do we? I, I guess, but he definitely doesn't. So. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Yes, yes, absolutely. I can't cut my finger off. Most inconvenient. <laughs> Dashed inconvenient for me. How will they get the ring of state on my finger now? Could you see a way clear to properly in a little few stitches in there, please? My butler is doing croquet at three o'clock. I need to be back. Uh, anyway. Uh, should we have a question? Sure. <laughs> Please. Do send in next week about people's fingers being lopped off. We can, we can we can discuss that. And if anyone has a spare finger they want to lend me, that'd be that'd be great. <laughs> I'll do the fingering. <laughs> <laughs> Too many jokes. Ah, <laughs> uh, dearie me. All right, let's have a question. And the question comes from Twitter, and it comes from at Pete Kuru K U R U Pete Kuru Peter Pullman is his name. Uh, super film nerd, amateur musician. Once once touched Max Cavalera 
not like that. That is his bio on Twitter. Um, anyway, if Spielberg won the 80s, which directors won the 90s, noughties, and 10s? All right. For time purposes, we're going to keep this to the 90s. That's a good question. Uh, first off, did Spielberg win the 80s? I'm not 100% sure that he did. And my evidence for this is that book that I had to write. <laughs> <laughs> women versus Hollywood, Fallen no, Rise of Women in Film. Before that one. I got the title right. You did, though. I got I was, the title right. Uh, that may be a first. Um, no, before that and before the superhero book, I wrote a book on the greatest 80s. Oh, yes, 80s yes, movies. yes, yes. And You're I had such to a pick... prolific author, Helen. Sometimes know, it's hard to keep track. You're like Stephen King. Words are your any, power. Nothing yeah. in three years. Anyway, but one of the... <laughs> But, you know, I had to make a list of 50 films for that, right? And, yeah. and I expected it to be basically Spielberg Central. But when you have to boil it down like when that, I mean, E.T. and, and e. the Indiana Jones trilogy, for yep. sure. For sure. He but bookends the 80s with brilliantly. Raiders and with uh, Last Crusade. Exactly. Great, great run. Yep. However... In between. In between. I mean, good films. Honking piles of crap. No, the, I'm sorry. The Colour great, Purple great, is a great, great film. honking piles of crap. The, the Colour Purple is a great film, but you wouldn't put it at like the top of the decade list. You All just right, wouldn't. okay. And I didn't put it in the top 50. So um, I would... I've made a case before and I will make a case again for Rob Reiner. I think you're going to say John Carpenter, maybe? I don't know. I haven't okay. thought about this. Thought about this <laughs> I was hoping to buy buy time, but well, I will obviously say James Cameron because he directed Aliens, which is the greatest film ever made, and came out in the eighties. So, I mean, how many <laughs> other James Cameron films, though? However, would you say during that entire decade, would you say would deserve a place in the in the but, top fifty but, of all time? But Helen, Helen, Aliens is all things to all people. But Jimbo, and he Jimbo, also wins the nineties and the noughties. Just by, you know, by so. okay, but same. again, one film. Actually, no, he doesn't win the noughties. No, he does because Aliens echoes through eternity. Good God. What we do in life echoes, <laughs> echoes an eternity. If we're watching Aliens. If we're watching Ghosts Aliens. of the Abyss. It's the actual <laughs> original really? quote from Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> Father of a murdered son. Killer of murdered alien. You know, it was it was all, it was it was all, all there. there. It was all there originally. Mm -hmm. um, yes. All right. Spielberg. Okay. Spielberg's run in the 1980s. Let's see if I can go from memory here. Mm -hmm. Impressive memory Bring technique. It. Is 1941 technically a 1980 film or is it 1979? Pretty sure it's... Wasn't it before... See, he, he does he does Jaws, then he does Close Encounters, then he mm -hmm. does 1941, which I'm pretty sure was 79. I think it's 79, but, then, but I'm going to check. Then he does, okay, so then there's Raiders, 81, mm -hmm. E.T., 82. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a pretty that's good a flex. one, too. Yeah. It's like doing Jurassic Park, it's in his list in the same year. Who mm. would do that, right? Uh, only a madman or a genius or both. Uh, then he takes a he takes eighty well now he directs the his segment of the Twilight Zone in the movie and his segment of the Twilight Zone in the movie is not good. Then he does Temple of Doom in eighty four, right? Mm -hmm. Color Purple's eighty five. Yep, sounds right. Right. Then he takes uh, he takes eighty six off to rest. Am I right? Eighty seven is Empire of the Sun. Mm -hmm. uh, then he does somewhere in that in that is always. When's always? Is always eighty nine. Eighty nine. Eighty nine. Gosh. Mm, same yeah. year as the greatest Indiana Jones movie. Well, one of, the, one of the three greatest. Why do you think I sent the book home in the first place? It wouldn't fall into their hands, Junior. <laughs> well, I suddenly remember my Charlemagne. Oh, I love it so much. Oh. Uh, I mean, look, Empire of the Sun is, is great and Color Purple are, is great, but like you wouldn't, you know, they're not maybe as essential as some of the others of the 80s. Yes, so I'm saying Spielberg didn't win the 80s. I I, I mean, I've, he, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, I'm sorry, but Rob Reiner, we need to be talking more about Rob Reiner's 80s. Rob Reiner's 80s are fucking incredible. It's a sure thing. It is a sure thing. I mean, that's like the the weakest of his mm. films of the 80s. Um, but to it. have go Spinal Tap, okay, let me, let me go, let me go list by list, hang on. 
We may not get to the 90s at this point. We're we just going to be no, discussing. No. Okay, but we'll come back to the 90s, 90s and 10s. We're just going to discuss, because I, I, I have problems with the premise of the question. I don't think Spielberg won the 80s. And Helen's about to tell you why. I am about to tell you why. Come on, Helen, you can do this from memory. Why? I mean, I could, but I'm trying come to be on. exact. I'm trying to be come exact on. with release years no and all that exact. kind of stuff. No one wants exact. They I think want, people they want, want exact. wild guesses and okay. speculation. So this is Spinal Tap, 1984. Correct. The Sure Thing, 1995. Bingo. Stand By Me, 1986. The Motherfucking Princess Bride, 1987. The, the Motherfucking the Princess Bride. Inconceivable. My name is Inigo Montoya. Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. Now prepare, prepare to, to motherfucking die. die. That's it. And then caps it off with When Harry Met Motherfucking Sally, 1989, I'll baby. have what he's having. Boom. I, I've got to be honest, it's still Spielberg. You're a fool. Uh, I mean, look, three of those. Three of those. Three of those at least. Probably for. Hey, don't you even start with me. But when Harry Met Sally is like genre defining, Spinal Tap is genre defining. Genre defining. That's pretty incredible. Mind you, so are ET and Indy, maybe. Maybe. I went back. I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark on the big screen again last night, I have to say, and it was. It's good, isn't it? It's pretty. It's pretty good. It's good. It is. It's no Last Crusade, but it's pretty good. It's. It's like, it's a perfect thing. I mean, Ted Lasso was right. It's a perfect thing. It is, oof, it's really good. Oh, Nothing's perfect, Helen, except Shawshank. And they met. It's, they literally list Raiders in the same conversation, James. <laughs> I am literally referring to that conversation. Are. I know you are. Uh, we won't have the TV cool talk side, on the other side of the pillow? Oh. No, come on Yummy. now. Come on now. Uh, Jimbo, who do you think won the 80s? And don't say James Cameron. Come on. Because Cameron in that, in that, time. I mean, all he did was Terminator, Aliens, yeah. and The Abyss. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Maybe Jim Cameron did. He may have tucked I mean, the 80s under his arm and, and taken it home. That's a, I mean, that's also a pretty good list. That's a pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty solid. Should we go through Carpenter? Okay. Carpenter. Uh, are we going on to the 90s or are we just abandoning No, that? we're abandoning well, we it. We might go there. No, no that, let's be honest. We're not doing that. We're, we're, okay, Carpenter. <laughs> Carpenter. All right, here's, here's my, my boy. My, okay. my, my boy, Your JC. Boy. The best JC that ever lived. Um, what? I can't think of anyone else. Um, James Cameron. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Damn it. That's what everyone was thinking. Escape from New York. Yep. Wait. No. Isn't The Fog 1980? I think it might be. The Fog is 1980, right? Fog. Escape from New York. The Thing. Three masterpieces in a row. Boom, boom, boom. Starman. Yes. Big Trouble in Little China. Fun. Fun. Yay. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Okay. And other films he made in that time. Prince of Darkness is the 80s. Prince of Darkness. Christine. Holy shit. Someone hand, someone gift wrapped the 1980s. And give it to John Carpenter, please. I mean, Christine is your is your closing Christine argument is there. Fucking great. It is good. It is good. They live it is as so well. So good. They live. They live as they 88. live. Uh, yes, I would say that he, he has somewhat. He fell off uh, as a, as a director post that. Mm. Uh, but that's that's a pretty that's pretty that's, solid. That's pretty solid. I will say, I don't think he won the 80s, but John Hughes had a pretty good time. He did. I, oh, I, I that's, that's, that's a good, pretty good. That's a good argument. Yeah, yeah. Good 16 argument. Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Weird Science. Ferris Bueller. Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. Was that 89? I thought that was 89. National Lampoon's no, Christmas Curly Vacation. 1989. She's having a baby, it's also 88, but I'm not counting that. So uh, for this, I'm going to go for directors whose work spanned the breadth of the 1980s 
not your Johnny Come Latelys who maybe flared up with a with a good run of films towards the end, like your John McTiernan's. Mm. You know, obviously did when Predator. John McTiernan saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, he wept for the no more worlds, worlds to, to conquer. conquer. Uh, after he made Rollerball, and <laughs> he uh, obviously he had Predator and Die Hard in consecutive yes. years. <gasps> that's a pretty good. That's a pretty so, good one-two punch. That's a um, good one-two punch. Zemeckis didn't have a bad eighties. Zemeckis, Zemeckis had a great I 80s. didn't have the worst time. I will argue very hard for romancing the stars. I mean, used cars. Used, you know, used cars is great. Okay, used cars is okay, great. But I didn't love it. But romancing the stone, Back Incorrect. to the Future, yes. his bit of amazing stories. Who framed mm. Roger Motherfucking Who, Rabbit? Again, not the title, but okay. Well, I mean, look, it, I get it. it's it's it was part of the it was a key part actually of the Disney Renaissance that film. Mm-hmm. So it it deserves some respect for that. And Back to the Future. Part two. I mean, he f- he shot part three in the eighties, right? So well, they were originally going to be one film. Like the I idea know. was, I, I love the idea that he was saying that if it was made now, it would be Bad Future One and Bad Future Two, and Bad Future Two would be three hours long, and that's all there is to it. But back then, that was not an option, so that's, it was always two and three. That's just incorrect. I mean, he's that's just very very wrong we are literally we have several examples of two-parters oh no that's true but I think I think they were much more hardcore about runtimes in these kind of films back then like you didn't get to stray over three hours no you didn't but also the 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 whole idea of Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future Part 3 was that they were two very very different films that had two very very different genres if Back to the Future Part 2 had been like a three hour behemoth that suddenly turned into a western halfway through (laughs) that would have been been a bit weird it would have been like from dusk till dawn sort of a yeah I'd have been there for that I mean, yeah. look, it would still have been great, but no. But the tone shift would be mad because, part of, like, I don't know, have you seen them recently? Like, the second one is really fucking dark. It's so bleak. Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else? I mean, Spike Lee, Spike Lee, hi. There's an interview and- special with Spike Lee uh, out right now. I spoke to Spike Lee about Malcolm X and all sorts of stuff uh, as part of the BFI's Film on Film Festival, which takes place next weekend. There is a brand new remastered 4K print. I realize I've just gone into full plug in mode, but here we are. A uh, brand new remastered 4K print of Malcolm X. Uh, playing at the BFI South Bank in London on June 10th. And I talked to Spike Lee when he came to London in February. And that has finally gone up that interview. It's available for you to listen to right now. But Spike Lee, I think he doesn't qualify with the rules that I have arbitrarily imposed hmm. upon this game because all his work was kind of mid to late 80s. Yeah, he like he School came through in the 80s. She's got to have it. Yeah, do the right and, thing. And do the obviously. right thing was yeah. 89, obviously. But yeah. I, I feel like he didn't dominate the decade like some of the others we've just Which talked rules about. Which rules out Tim Burton also. Rules out Tim Burton also. It also rules out like basically all women and, you know, frankly, most directors of colour, certainly mm-hmm. US-based, because the system was even worse then than it is now, and it's still pretty bad. So, um, you know, you, women were just beginning to get the chance to make a film in the 80s. And, of course, women directors, for the most part, as a general rule, average one film a decade. So they can't rule a decade because they've only made one film in it, chances are. Um, I'm gonna... Catherine Bigelow, Near Dark. Yeah, that's pretty Dark. much it, though, isn't it? Yeah, and, and then that's, that's it. That's yeah. it for the decade. I was going to yeah. say Christoph Kozlowski, but then the Three Colors trilogy is the nineties. Yeah, so we can have well, that discussion there. Otherwise, that would have cleared up. Yeah, I was having a think about uh, Almodovar. Almodovar, um, but he really came through at the end of the decade because the, the biggest breakthrough was kind of um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, mm-hmm. which was eighty-eight, and then Time Me Up, Time Me Down in eighty-nine. So he started to really take off a little bit later, I think. Uh, Okay, I'm also going to disqualify my beloved uh, possessed goat boy Sam Raimi because oh. he made Crime Wave in the 1980s. He did make Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, the greatest movie of all time. Mm-hmm. But Crime Wave is a big clunking sucker. Uh, so, no, 
disqualified. Sorry, Sam. What about my other boys? Did you say sucker or zucker? That's exactly where I was going, Helen. That was it. Look at this. It's almost like we've written this down. Uh, my other boys, Sucker Abraham Sucker, who had a very good 1980s. They had a very good 1980s. Airplane. I mean, top secret, the greatest film ever made, because you've both said it at some point, so I'm just going to add it I in there. I absolutely have never said that. <laughs> you've, but you said it about Aliens. He said mm-hmm. it about Evil Dead too. Yes, but when I said it, it was right. Ooh. Easy, Tiger. Easy. Uh, top secret, Naked Gun, of course. Mm-hmm. Ruthless People. It's pretty solid. All right, I think that's it. It's incontrovertible. It's it's very much not. Look, it's, let's leave it with Spielberg, but I mean... I, I don't think he won the 80s. I feel like in I terms think, of prestige and in terms of... Also, if you count him as a producer as well. Like, oh, if you count him as I a mean, producer. He, if you count him as a producer, he had a oh, hand he in half of the other ones we've talked dominated about. Dominated the 80s. Oh. He bestrode the 80s like a colossus. Back to the Future, Gremlins, Poltergeist... I mean, that's that's a hell of a time, isn't it? Roger Rabbit again? Roger Rabbit, mm. yeah, yeah. George, look, oh, listen, we'll be here all day. Okay, fuck okay. it, Spielberg. All right, well done. Uh, we'll <laughs> we'll discuss the rest of it. That was, I like that question. It was like a Mount Rushmore question, but without Mount Rushmore. Mm. So we didn't actually damage any landmarks. Exactly, and we didn't disrespect or, any... And um, we didn't crucially get onto people. the question. Oh, who dominated the 90s? Yeah. And we will, we will, James. But there, there, will all, there will be a time. There will be a time and a place for answering the question, yes. and today was not that day. Yes, and it's not on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, anyway, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, uh, maybe hold off for a little bit or send us in something about fingers. Uh, I'm at Chris Hewitt. <laughs> you can slide it by DMs if you want. Uh, no pictures of silver fingers, if you will. And uh, or you can wait for a panic shout out every now and again. Or you can reply to any of my tweets once you've composed yourself and stopped laughing, of course. Helen was mouthing along with that. Jesus Christ, if I become so predictable. <laughs> should we have a guest? Let's. Uh, who should we have? Should we have Melissa Barrera? Out of the Scream films and Mm -hmm. In the Heights, James's favourite film of all time. Uh, Or shall we have the cast of the Spider-Verse movie with the proviso that this hasn't happened yet and might not happen? Uh, Perhaps (laughs) we should start with Melissa Barrera in that case. Here's Melissa Barrera, who has absolutely happened. Uh, Paul Schrader, by the way, was meant Mm. to happen as well. I actually interviewed Paul Schrader this week. Uh, the director of Master Gardener. Did you ask him about cutting off fingers? I wish I, 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 if I had, I would not have been able to understand the question because he had a very, very bad connection, oh, and no. so his his audio was inaudible, uh, which is why Paul Schrader is not going to be on this week's podcast. Uh, however, I am going to try and salvage what I can of that and put it up on the website as a print piece at some point. So you. You will get some muffled garblings from Paul Schrader. Inaudible. Question from Chris. Inaudible. That's pretty much what it was. I had to watch his mouth to kind of tell when he was finished speaking. Oh, no. It was one of those. It was like, has he finished? Okay. And now I will ask my question and hope he hasn't just answered it. It was one of those. Oh, no. Anyway, he's not on the podcast, but Melissa Barrera is. Uh, She was great in In the Heights. Mm. Uh, She's fantastic as Sam Carpenter in... Oh, Wes Craven. (laughs) Damn it. Good 80s. Good 80s. Not as good as some of the other people we talked no. about. Cronenberg. Um, nah. Yes. Nah. The Fly. Nah. Dead Ringers. Nah. Dead Ringers. Uh, the Dead Zone. Yeah, nah. Yeah, Cronenberg. Uh, anyway, Melissa Barrera, she was in Scream 5 and Scream 6, and now she stars in an adaptation of Carmen. Yes, the famous... Opera? Carmen. Correct. Thank you. Good uh, Featuring your favourite hits, including... Habanera. 
That one, yeah. Okay. Featured all those hits. Uh, she co stars alongside Paul Mascal. And uh, we sent Ian Freer into the Zoom Zone to have a chat with Melissa Barrera earlier on this week. And they talked about a great many things. Oh, Palpatine. He ruled the 80s. Enjoy. Melissa Barrera, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I believe we're speaking to you in sunny Dublin. Are you working there? Yes, and it is sunny today. It's so <laughs> sunny. It's such a beautiful day. Well, I'd like to talk about your new film, Carmen. When I was researching you, I found out something about you that was uh, interesting to me, which was um, I believe that you were in a, a middle school production of uh, we have something we have something in common basically. We were both in middle school productions of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Green Dreamcoat. That is true. I played Miss Potiphar. Wow, you see, I was in the chorus. This is why you. You know, I was I was Miss Potiphar, but I was also part of the ensemble. I also played like a wife. You know, it's one yeah. of those roles that is a small, so you play a bunch of different things. <laughs> and were you bitten by the acting bug around that time? Was that when you got the, the, the feel for it? Yeah, pretty much. I think, I think I did. Joseph must have been like ninth or tenth grade. I started doing theater in seventh grade. I think is when I started auditioning for the little shows. I was very, I was very blessed to be in a school where the arts were a big deal. There was, right. you know, we had like a big arts department. There were like drama festivals, music festivals, and there was like a big musical that would get, you know, put on every year. And so I was surrounded by that. And it kind of, I was a sports kid. I played basketball my whole life since I was four. (laughs) And so I was kind of focused on that. And then I would go and watch the school shows and the musicals. And I would kind of find myself wishing I was on stage, but I was too shy. I was like painfully shy as a kid. And I started singing because I always loved to sing. And I sang at like my sister's first communion. And then I I started getting hired to sing at first communions. And it started like losing kind of the shyness and breaking out of my shell. And eventually I got the courage to audition for a school musical. I took like all my friends with me. I like made it a thing. I was like, we all should go because I was not able to do it by myself. So we like made it a group thing and we all auditioned. And I think like a few of us got in and it was the Wizard of Oz. The first, the first show that I did in school was the Wizard of Oz. I auditioned. I got a call back for Dorothy. And I felt like I was the coolest, like I was in eighth grade at the time. I felt like I was the coolest girl because I was in eighth grade, my first ever audition. And I get a callback for the lead. Amazing. And I ended up being cast as tree number three. (laughs) Not a joke, I swear. (laughs) Well, from tree number three, uh, you're in your lead of your own movie, Carmen. Um, I've tried to describe it to people and it's kind of like it's a, it's a lovers on the run thriller romance where characters express their self through song. Is that fair? How how would you describe it? I mean, it's hard. To, you're you're right to ask because I also don't know how to describe it. I just say that's all the good films. All the good films are hard to describe. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a movie that is it's a drama and it is a romance, but it's told mostly through dance. Yeah. I would say that there's more dancing than singing in the movie, yeah. really. It's not yes. a musical. I wouldn't call it a musical. No. no. I mean, 
Some people would say that it is a musical because it, it there is music in it and there are musical numbers, but it's not a musical in the traditional sense of the word. It's a, it's a, like a different dreamlike kind of thing. Yeah. And it's kind of directed by Benjamin Millipede, who people will know as the choreographer from, uh, from Black Swan and Vox Lux. I guess he puts you through your paces. Yes, he did. And rightfully so, because I would not have been able to do the things that I do in this movie if it hadn't been for him and his belief in me and all the rehearsals that we had. Um, yeah, it was it was an easy, but nothing that is ever satisfying is easy. Right. So I felt like I had to work really hard to because I'm playing Carmen, I'm playing this woman that is a natural born dancer yeah. and she that's her way of expressing herself and that's literally her means of communication is dance um and it's just in her blood not because she's trained you know because she lives like in the middle of the desert her yeah. mother is also a dancer it's just kind of like a passed down from generation to generation kind of family a skill yeah. and i melissa am not that you know, I'm not a natural born dancer. I've, I've taken lessons and I went to school for musical theater. So that was part of my training. You were, you were tree number three. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was, a it was an amazing, it was an incredible experience and it was a beautiful thing to get to create a character through body movement. You know, it was the first for me. Yeah. And there's a, there's a there's a dance sequence that's in this kind of carnival in the desert. It's like in a fairground in the desert. Yeah, be made up of wonders that looks so fucking hard to be honest. Yeah, that was that's uh, that number. I called it the Burning Man number because it's sort of like a party that they <laughs> yeah, run yeah, into yeah, yeah. the desert, and there's like neon lights and fire and music and dance and um, yeah. and yeah, that Benjamin likes to shoot the dances as oneers because he likes to have the camera as like one more dancer in the choreography. Yeah. He basically choreographs the dance and the camera movements together. Yeah. And I love oneers like personally as a spectator, as an audience member, when I'm watching a long take with no cuts, it just thrills me. So when I found out that I that he that's the way that he wanted to shoot the numbers, I was thrilled, but immediately mortified because that means no room for error. You know, like if yeah. you mess up, it's going to be there and you're, you've, you've either ruined a take or they're going to use it and your mistake is going to be there because there's no cutting. Yeah. Hiding anywhere. I guess when you're getting towards the end of it, you think, man, how about I mess this up? But we're nearly there. I hope this will not mess this up. <laughs> I know. I know. But I, you know what? I had like, especially in that number, specifically in that number, I had like an out of body experience where I completely left my body and then when he yelled cut I kind of just was like what just happened I don't even know how that went and he came up to me and he was like how did you do that and I was like I didn't know if it, if he was saying it as a good thing or a bad thing and I was like, what, what was it? And he was like, that was incredible. You you were flying. And I was like, I don't know what happened. I got illuminated by the spirit of Carmen, <laughs> but I, because like, I don't know how I did what I did, but he was very happy about it. And because he was happy about it, I, I'm very happy about it too. And how, how does that compare with something like the club scene in, in the Heights, which is a very difficult kind of demand, a different kind of demanding, isn't it? 
Yeah. It's like, it's just a completely different style, you know? So that was also very demanding. It was two, but we had two days to shoot that number, you know, right. like it's, it's, it's a gigantic number with like, I don't know, 150 dancers in the club. And so there's lots of moving parts, but I, w- I felt very safe in that we just did 50 different setups for it, you know? And I knew that in, that there was at least one good take of every step somewhere. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to get it all right. And so, you know, that was a different kind of pressure at the time. And I'm very glad, though, that I lived through in the Heights and that I had that experience because then it all informed me going into Carmen and understanding, you know, dancing in front of a camera better. And also having had just like a boot camp for in the Heights and, and my body feeling a little bit more flexible and malleable and like. I could pick up choreography quicker. Yeah. And in common, your scene partner's Paul Mescal. Mm-hmm. I don't think comes from a dance background. How, how did that sort of dynamic work? No. Um, and and it, he was so perfect for the role because Benjamin did not want a dancer for that role. He yeah. didn't want the dancing to kind of take you out of the reality of the story because it's a very dramatic story. Um, and he wanted a, a guy that could be graceful, but that didn't look like a dancer. And Paul also has some theater background and he has danced before, not like, you know, not a trained dancer like me. And so we just rehearsed a lot. We drilled the choreographies. We, we practiced like all of the lifts that we had to do and like all of that stuff. And it was, it was fun for us because we spent so much time together in the rehearsal room that it kind of helped build the chemistry of the characters and and the history and this thing because if if you watch the movie you realize that Carmen and Aiden rarely talk to each other. Yeah. There's not a lot of dialogue in the movie. It's kind of like this unspoken recognition, this like magnetic thing that they have with each other that somehow they were meant to find each other in life and like help each other through whatever both of them are going through. And so it was, I, I was a little bit like, how are we going to, how are we going to show that? How are we going to portray that with, with little to no dialogue? And, and I think that the time that we got to spend dancing together really helped. Yeah. Would you, would you draw a line between your character, Carmen and Sam Carpenter in that they're kind of both quite self-possessed? The crow's quiet. Yeah, I think. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of like a lot of my characters are that way, and I, and I've been. Some people have pointed at pointed that out to me that I, I mostly play women that kind of have to fight to survive by themselves, yeah. and you know that's common. Vanessa in the Heights was the same way; she was alone. Sam is the same way. I my my character live and keep breathing literally is alone in the middle of nowhere, you know, having to survive. And and I don't know if it's that I'm attracted to these kinds of characters or that they find me or a little bit of both. I I think that there's definitely a lot of similarities in in that like strength, but I I think the the big difference between Carmen and and Sam is that 
Sam is weighed down by her trauma. Especially in the second film. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's like, she's carrying that weight and like trying very hard to not let it send her spiraling into a deep, dark hole. But like she, you can still see that weight in her. And Carmen is the opposite. She's kind of like almost childlike in yeah. the way that she she moves despite everything that she's been through and that and you know the sadness that she carries within her she moves with a lightness and and a wonder and an innocence that i think is what makes her so magnetic because she's kind of like floating through life you yeah. know and i think that's why that's why her being a dancer is so perfect because yeah. it it comes with this kind of a little just a little off the ground quality that she that she's always looking up and like hopeful despite everything and um and i and that's something that i really wanted to come across and i and because i feel that that's the essence of the of the carmen character that everyone knows and loves i think yeah. that's why men fall in love with her that's why she has this like magnetism of like wherever she is people look look to her um because there is this freedom in her that yeah. not a lot of people have so we, we should say it's inspired by the short story that inspired Bizet's Carmen and all the yes. other things of Carmen yeah. yeah yeah even though even though this movie is a complete reimagining of Carmen the story that everybody knows yeah I to me the one thing that it has in common still is the essence of Carmen you know the essence of that character yeah. so that was very important for me in in creating this character is keeping that essence, even though I'm making a completely different version of Carmen. More, I I I, I see it as like a an origin story of sorts. Yeah, yeah, cool. I want to ask you a couple of things about Scream. Did you kind of feel the pressure of joining that cast of the established characters and the, the fan favorites? Did that feel like a pressure to you? Or, yeah. Or- yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think it'd be hard not to feel the pressure of something that has so much history that the fans already have so much ownership of and that they're so vocal about, you know, what they like and don't like. And it's been alive. I mean, it's been around since I was six years old. Okay. So, you know, it's it's something that I grew up with that I've watched and that I've seen evolve and I've seen and I followed the story and. I've admired all these characters that I've seen on screen and then getting to be a part of it is intimidating. Also a dream come true, you know? So it's like balancing this thing of, I feel so happy and so lucky and so grateful to get to join this universe, but also I'm a little scared, you know, (laughs) I'm a little scared. I want to do right. I want to do it respectfully. I want to have fun too, you know? So it's it's a delicate balance. There was definitely a lot of pressure um, coming into the fifth one, and you know the sixth one too. Yeah, because the the, the fifth one went so well. But I get I guess you feel like with Matt entirely, you're in good hands, right? Radio silence. You just you, you feel confident. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I they're they make good movies. You know, like they're very talented. They're good at what they do. They know what they're doing. I'm shooting with them right now in Dublin. You know, I'm shooting another movie with them. So. I I just love those guys so much, and I trust them. Uh, this is a slightly spoilery Scream Six question. 
What's it like to put the mask on? It's claustrophobic, first of all. <laughs> you can't breathe in that mask. It's really, and you can barely see. So it really puts it into perspective because I hadn't worn the mask until this sixth one. And it just, I I remember putting it on and, and, and then looking at Max, our stunt that played Ghostface during the entire movie. And I looked at him and I was like, wow, Max, I have so much more respect for you now that I've put this mask on. Not that I, I mean, I already had respect for him, but I just like went through the roof when I had the mask on because you can't see, you can barely breathe. It's tight. It's uncomfortable. It's like digging in. Like, it's not a very comfortable mask, Um, but it, but it feels, it does something to you wearing the mask and the robe (laughs) does put you in a, in a, like a powerful, like, yeah want to stab someone mood it does it really does Um, (laughs) it it was fun it was fun and i kept my mask i have it at home amazing amazing and final thing uh, the movie you're making in dublin is this what imdb calls untitled monster movie correct that is what i'm making currently okay and can we say anything about that um all i can say is that it's going to be really good we're having so much fun i'm covered in blood again there's (laughs) blood but a, very, um, a very different kind of horror to scream, maybe. Very different. Very, very different. You know, it's part of the the universal monster universe. Um, some supernatural like things going on. Um, and it's a really cool group of people. It's a really cool cast. And I and and Matt and Tyler are at the, you know, captaining the ship again. And I, you know, I already told you I trust them with my eyes shut. And, and it's, you know, I have two more months to go here, but it's already, it already feels special. So I think it's going to be good. And final thing, what, what are you making of Dublin? Are you out drinking Guinness? How's it going? I, I tried my first Guinness. Oh, how was that? I, it was good. It was good. Um, I, I drank, you know, how you, they give you the Guinness glass and it's supposedly you're supposed to drink up until half the G for um, the first, the first gulp. Like the oh, first, right. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I learned that here. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm not a beer drinker, honestly. I'm more of a tequila girl, but I do enjoy the Guinness. And I don't know if it's being in Ireland that I'm like trying to fit in or if it's just really good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that's lovely stuff. Thank you. Uh, congrats on Carmen. And um, can't wait to see Monster Movie and anything else you do. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was so nice. Nice chatting with you. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm on I'm on the Chaz Scala processor setting here on the on the mixing desk we have as we're recording the podcast. So I went very, very radio DJ there. You did a bit, yeah. I could, I could switch it to Planet Rock or I could switch it to Greatest Hits. What do you think? Or I could just leave it at Jazz Gala. Just, just do your best to maintain your line. Jazz stylings of Chris Hewitt. Uh, all right, so that was Melissa Barrera, and Carmen is out this week on Digitals. So check that one out, should you be so inclined. Uh, time now to discuss this week's movie news. Um, I think that's it. I think, I think we're done. <laughs> there, there are not a lot it's, of movie news going on. It's not a news-rich week, I think it's fair to say. They have said that... 
without giving any spoilers for John Wick 4, John Wick 5 is now in early development. Now, who is they? Who is they? It is yeah. the they. The they that says the things, Chris. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I think this came from the Lionsgate chairman, actually, um, a guy called Joe Drake, who sounds like he should be an action hero himself, just on that basis. Joe Drake, chapter Joe three. Joe Drake, chapter three. Exactly. Prepare for business call. But he said the, co- the company was all in on more Wick. We're now moving across that franchise not just in the AAA or AAA video game space, but looking oh, at what the God. regular cadence of spin-offs, television, really growing that I universe. love it when execs say things. It <laughs> oh, really, yeah. really turns me on. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. Soundbox. What is official is, as you know, Ballerina is obviously the Anna de Armas film, is the first spin-off that comes out next year. We're in development on three others, including John Wick 5 and the Continental TV series. See, I, I don't know necessarily whether that is true true or how much truth there is in that Uh, or let me put it another way if they do John Wick chapter 5 I would be surprised if Chad Stahelski was directing it you know Chad Stahelski has got other projects that he is finally wanting Mm -hmm. to move on to uh, whether it's Ghosts of Shishima or uh, Highlander or Rainbow Six to all of which he is attached and he has said that you know he wouldn't stand in the way of anyone if they wanted to make a John Wick chapter 5 but that he and Keanu kind of felt that this was the end. Uh, so any pressure to make John Wick Chapter 5, I think, would almost entirely come from the studio. And and they may well go ahead without Stahelski, but whether or not they could get Reeves, that's another mm-hmm. that's another thing entirely. Yeah. Would you want to see, first of all, a John Wick... Would you want to see a John Wick Chapter 5, knowing what we know about John Wick Chapter 4? Would you want to see a John Wick Chapter 5 without Chad Stahelski at the helm? Oh, that's a tough question. I, I do. I felt like they left a crack in the door, as it were. A kraken. That's a, a kraken. Not a crack. A crack space in space. Oh, the I door. see. They left a crack. Um, they did. They left the door ajar. Just a, yeah, a little bit ajar, and and so it's. I, I can you know I can see a way back if that's what they choose to do, but yes. I would prefer it to be Stahelski, and I I will you know probably kick off if it isn't Reeves. So if it isn't Reeves, well, there's, there's I mean, no point. Yeah, there's right? yeah. no point. I, I kind of think don't do it without Chad Stahelski either. Mm. But because it ends in such a way that I'd be fine with the fourth one being the final instalment. Like, I'd have no problem with that. And it feels like if the only reason you're doing a fifth one is because money, like it feels they like have that's, a billion reasons to do it. That's right? how much the franchise yeah, is it made. It just feels that that's kind of a creatively bankrupt re- reason to do it. Although that is the reason why most sequels get made. So I could live without it. But equally, if Stahelski's back and Reeves is back and they make another one. Yeah. What if, what if they got like Leech back rather than Stahelski? That would work for me. You know, Tommy Blonde was amazing. So yeah, I'm, I'd be on board with that as well. Possibly. Yeah. I, 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 we'll, we'll see how uh, Ballerina pans yeah. out. Mm. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Len Wiseman as a director, but perhaps in his relatively mm. long hiatus from, from making movies, he's learned how to do it. <laughs> so we shall see. Fingers crossed. And, and Darmus is great, crossed. so, you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> Aww, poor James. Picking up his severed finger and making a cross with it. Um, it's not that bad, by the way. James's yeah. finger was not severed. He just lopped a bit off just for just yeah. for Shits clarification purposes. Yeah. Yes, uh, It's my it new is- way of reviewing films now. I'm going to give uh, Into the Spider-Verse 5 on my finger scale, so. For fans of The Lost Boy Scout. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to see... Unless he, unless he really had a great story, and I think mm. that's one of the reasons why they didn't go into John Wick Chapter Five. Because if you remember, they were kind of announced at the same time again by Lionsgate 
putting the cart before the horse yeah. mm. uh, saying hey guys we're going to shoot John Wick chapter 4 and 5 back to back and it's going to be amazing and then Stahelski and Reeves were like no we're not <laughs> <laughs> well look I mean if, if people listen to the John Wick chapter 4 spoiler special I did have a theory on the way that this franchise as a whole could kind of maybe develop the boy day. with the broom with the Jedi abilities Sort of a thing, but like, you know, oh, I, I feel like it might not be this chapter five would not be for me the ne- the natural next installment. It would be way down the line a bit. So, mm. but if, you know, I, th- I think there's probably a way to do it. But yeah, I would be very keen to get the team back together. Well, let me ask you this, Helen. Okay. Could you have a John Wick chapter without John Wick in it? Many chapters of many, many books, many wonderful many, books. Many, many <laughs> wonderful books. Don't have the lead character in no, them. No, that's true. That's not, but that's not. Uh, no, I don't think you should call it John Wick and not deliver John Wick. That's what I think. But you can have a ballerina, you can have a continental, you can have a bunch of other little spin-offs, and then maybe go into John Wick Chapter Five and, and make right. it almost an Avengers of, of or Hitman. or replace John Wick with uh, Robert McCall. <gasps> John Wick's Chapter Five. Yes, please. The Equalizer. Oh, or make it a nobody meets John Wick meets <gasps> Robert McCall spin-off. See, I'm super, super in right now. Anyway, but th- that's a thing that is perhaps perhaps happening. All right. Okay. Is there anything else happening? There's a few other things. Yeah. Um. One of the most interesting, I guess, is the news that Martin Scorsese, uh, after finishing up in Cannes, triumphantly launching, um, Killers of the Flower Moon, yes. went to Italy and uh, had a private audience with the Pope, who's presumably a huge fan. We've all done of it. Oh my God! Mm. And the Pope asked him to direct Avengers: Secret Wars. <laughs> And Marty has accepted? Oh my God, that would be amazing. This is huge. Look, there's a a joke here somewhere about papal bulls and raging bulls. So let's just (laughs) pretend I made that and move on. Um, But yeah, he apparently, um, he said, I responded to the Pope's appeal to artists in the only way I know how, by imagining and writing a screenplay for a film about Jesus. And I'm about to start making it, he said, according to multiple reports. How quickly did he write the screenplay? When did he meet the Pope? Um, well, he met the pub last week, but he's he's obviously maybe been the the appeal came earlier, and he's been working on this, I guess, since maybe he's hoping that this time he can make a film about Jesus without nearly getting excommunicated <laughs> and starting an international fuss. He's made a nonsense though. It's not so much the last temptation of Christ. Now we have the next temptation of Christ. Maybe it won't be about the, the temptations the of Christ. Maybe it'll be yeah. something else. I mean, look, he this is the guy who made Silence, which I think is just an astonishing film about belief and religion and what it means to be. A believer in what it means to be a Christian. I think it's an incredible, incredible film. Um, so weirdly, I am absolutely here for uh, a Martin Scorsese Catholicism film. Of course you are. I know. You great big bloody Catholic. You can take the girl out of the convent school, but you can't take the convent school either. Yeah, and I'll be out on July 12th, 2025. <laughs> <laughs> in cinemas, paint the screen orange. Uh, it, yeah, this is, this is exciting. It's a Pope... I'm really confused by this. Has the Pope basically pitched a film to Martin Scorsese? Is this basically seem. what's happened? Mm. It seems like the Pope put out a call for like people to maybe make some films that aren't, as he sees it, irreligious. So like the stuff we like. And um, and Martin Scorsese has gone, you know what? Cool. And decided to do that. I feel like the Pope asked for Goodfellas too. And Marty was like, no, 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 no. We'll, <laughs> we'll do a Jesus sequel instead. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a Pope. <laughs> <laughs> good, good fathers, good fathers. Good fa- I'm working on here. There's something there, yeah. Good friars. <laughs> Bringing out the bread. Is there anything oh, in that? Oh boy, is, is there? Is there, there anything? Is there, is there some, is pope there of comedy? No, no, probably not. The Pope of comedy. <laughs> the King of Pope. That's exciting. 
Any, any Martin Scorsese Any Martin Scorsese film, yeah. but it, honestly, honestly, my God, if it, if they announced that Martin Scorsese was directing Avengers Secret Wars, I think I would laugh so hard. <laughs> I would la- I would never stop laughing. Oh, you know, what would that be like? Can Can you just imagine if he sees Spider Man across the Spider Verse, which you know, spoiler for later in the podcast, I'm cinema. going to be raving about, and cinema. suddenly decides, yeah, that these things are cinema, and decides to make the next one. That'd be incredible. It, it would be it would be astonishing. It would literally be incredible. They still it? need a director for that film. Hey, hey, Marty, Marty. Kevin, I know you both listen to this podcast. <laughs> Maybe it's time to bury the hatchet. Get on the phone. Oh God, not like that, guys. Exchange digits, but not in the way that James can. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flipping you the bird right now. You just can't see it. You're mailing it to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sending you the bird. <laughs> you can get me a toe. Oh, I can get you a toe. You need a toe? I can get you a toe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hey, going anyway, to the ATM. Anyway. There was some other news. Yes. There was some other news. There was some other news. I want to drop in Bring it. the Rebecca Ferguson news. Now, yeah. Rebecca Ferguson Rebecca. obviously is starring in Silo at the moment on Apple TV+, Plus, a show that I absolutely loved, and who I spoke to her for on the oh, Apple TV probably, podcast. But she's really, really good. It's lovely to see her in a leading role there, which was fantastic. But she has been given another leading role, which is the lead as uh, a mercenary which is of the mercenary Monza Mercato in Best Served Cult. So this is based on the Joe Abercrombie novel. So this is an interesting one. So this is a we'll sort of a standalone switch. spin-off novel from his First Law trilogy, which starts with The Blade itself, which is really good. If you've never read any Joe Abercrombie, his books are brilliant. They're kind of unusual know. fancy. Do you not know them? <laughs> I didn't. I never got into them. So what's really interesting is, so I had the same problem. I read uh, Best Served Cult and didn't love it. And then I left it for a few years, then came back to it listening to the audio book and something about it just clicked. And I stopped the audio book I went back to reading it and loved it and burned through all his books but Fine, it did take I'll me two goes go. because again I think it, was, it wasn't it was what I was expecting because it's it's irreverent it's quite funny it's also quite caustic like the first book generally revolves in large part around one of the main characters is uh, a torturer which yeah. is an unconventional anti-hero uh, but it's, they're really really good they're really funny now this book I've read as well uh, Best Served Cold which takes uh, a character it's, kind of, it's peripheral to the first law there's some character crossover so you don't need to have have read the first law so obviously this was good choice for the film. This is going to be directed by Deadpool's Tim Miller. Mm-hmm. Joe Abercrombie has written the script. Now, interestingly, I was on set of Terminator Dark Fate and I was talking to Tim Miller about not this, but the first law as a whole because he was going to uh, produce, and I think direct, the Netflix adaptation of the first law stories. Oh, nice. So that was okay. going to be an ongoing series. It never got off the ground. I'm not entirely sure why. Not I believe probably. it was at the Yeah, possibly. It was at the scripting phase. I think Abercrombie had written scripts. But for one reason or another, it just stalled. It never went ahead. So I guess they've decided we can't make the series we wanted to make. So let's take this standalone story and let's make a film out of it. And it's a really good story. It's a revenge story about a mercenary who's betrayed and she wants to take revenge on all the people who've wronged her. So it's it's got some Kill Bill vibes in there. It's a rip-roaring rampage of revenge. Uh, what he did with this, so he did this fancy trilogy. And then he did three standalone novels set in the universe, each one taking a different genre. Mm. So this is a revenge movie. Uh, He did another one called The Heroes, uh, which is kind of like a war movie. And then he did Red Country, which is like a Western. And all three of them take characters from the first law and just put them in these interesting cinematic genres. They're really, really good. I do highly recommend them. Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about this. That's cool. Hey, speaking of speaking of fancy, um, mm-hmm. the How to Train Your Dragon live action movie, oh. um, which is I think probably caught up in the writer strike right now, is due to begin shooting pretty soon in Northern Ireland. It's probably a little bit pushed back uh, now, but they've cast Mason Thames um, from Black Phone and Nico Parker from The Last of Us as um, as Hiccup and Astrid, respectively, which seems pretty good to me. So I'm kind of um, 
Who's playing Jerry Butler's character? Tell me it's Jerry Butler. It should be Jerry Butler, shouldn't it? That'd be freaking great, wouldn't it? I don't know yet. Are there any kind of Man comparisons like that? Are there, are there any instances where someone has played a character in animation and then played them, apart from, I guess, the Star Wars universe is doing it these days mm-hmm. where people maybe originated in, in Rebels and Clone Wars and then have moved into the live action realm? I feel like you get that from time to time. Like some, right? Lars Mikkelsen. Yeah, I feel like there's been a couple of voice actors who were then cast in. Mm. That's exciting. Didn't we have that? Anyway, but yeah. This Congratulations, is, I think, Jerry Butler. I think this is, <laughs> I think this is good for them and um, I'm excited to see it because I love it a what and I want a hiccup of my own. Yep. Not a hiccup, sorry. The other I one. Oh, the toothless. Yeah. I mean, hiccup seems nice, but, but you don't looked quite really need the second him. one. But I yeah, don't okay, that's fair. Yeah. Oh my God. Helen. Yeah. That's just saying. Stop lusting after Vikings. I'm yeah. not um, just saying. The other thing, it's kind of, it's, it's spurious. It's one of these things. So Amy Pascal has been reported by Variety f- of having said that we are not only getting a live-action Miles Morales movie, we're going to get a fourth Tom Holland Spider-Man, and we're going to get a Spider-Woman movie, except she didn't exactly say these things. That Someone said to her, are we going to get a Spider-Woman uh, movie? Are we going to get a live-action Miles Morales? Are we going to get another Tom Holland? She went, it's all coming. So, yes? Question is- mark? Yeah, this is like apparently John Carpenter did a Q&A in LA this week and uh, one of the A's he gave was someone was asking about the end of the thing. Now John mm. Carpenter's standard response to the end of the thing is like, oh, which, which, who's the thing at the end of the thing? Is it Child? Is it McCready? Is it mm. both of them? Is it none of them? And his standard response has never been to answer definitively. Yeah. And so apparently he said at this Q&A, he said, I can't answer that question. There might be a thing too coming. You know, I can't, you know, but he was just basically throwing it out. And, you know, I can't throw that out. That, here's the reason I can't answer that because of this thing that I've just made up. And then the internet being what the internet is, mm-hmm. they've taken that and run with it and gone, the thing too is happening, a direct sequel. It's like, no, it's not. Oh, good Don't God. be ridiculous. Uh, there's only one McCready same, come on but there's only one McCready indeed and that's Mike McCready from Pearl Jam <laughs> oh boy. is so he anyway. the thing <laughs> he, he may well be the he thing. may well be he the could thing. be the thing yeah, um, yeah I, 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 I don't feel like those are actually confirmed no. at all but, but I exciting. think they're all possible yeah, yeah. absolutely possible live action um, Miles Morales yes. yes absolutely fourth Tom Holland Spider-Man movie sure yeah absolutely they've got time there's 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 room on the docket the Marvel docket mm-hmm. um, to fit one in before uh an Avengers movie. That's where I'd expect to see him next, but you never know. Yeah, never, never do. Know. Yeah. Um, assuming you can get it written pretty quickly, which means re- resolving the writer's strike pretty quickly. And, Am I yeah. writing it? Just what you, you said that one, implied one, that I'm writing should, it. One could, could get I should it write it. You'd be great, Chris. I'm, I'm sure it would be fantastic to have the first Spider-Man script written in crayon. <laughs> <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> For a second there, I was living the dream. I had the power of the sun in the palm of my hand. <laughs> You're not allowed to use that line, you know. You have to come I, up with uh, that's all line, I have. So as good as that. Interior, New York, day. The power Spider-Man of the sun. Spider-Man <laughs> swings around. Woohoo! I have the power of the sun in the palm of my hand. So, astonishing start. Wow. Amazing. And then I ran out of crayon. <laughs> damn it. Anyway, Kevin, hey. Amy, I know you listen. Get in touch. I am surprisingly cheap. I don't think it would be that surprising. Yeah, less, less of a surprise. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, in superhero news, however, in Marvel oh. Comics news, <gasps> kind of, what? Um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer 
dropped uh, this week. No, it looks really cute. They can't possibly still be teenage mutant ninja turtles. No, but they're sort of it's a new kind of take on it. It's Seth Rogen and Jeff Rowe. Um, it's almost claymation looking. Yeah, it's it looks great. It looks really good and it looks really funny and silly and you know, joyful instead of some of the grim dark Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles we've seen in the yeah, past. Yes. Who who can forget the grim dark vanilla ice cameo? <laughs> I wasn't talking about that one, was I? I'm talking about like TMNT where you can't even use the did proper you have, name. Did you have the single to Turtle Power, which came out with the uh, I think it was the first film that one came out with. Mm. I did not. Own I did. That I owned that wow. on vinyl. Helen, have wow. you ever learned the secret of the ooze? <laughs> Steady. I, I I believe it's toxic waste that blinded Matt Murdock and then went into the sewer. Drink the ooze. Yes. <laughs> and then yes. made the baby turtles into ninja turtles. That's right. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. Okay. I haven't seen the trailer. I'm, I've never been a fan of those turtles. No, they're, I mean, at their best, they're really fun. The comics are great. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and, the, okay. and the TV show was was fun for kids. And was I'm because ex- my, my oh, brother and sister were more into it than I was because I was a little bit older, I think, when it came out. More out. sophisticated. Very sophisticated. Yes. Um, and, but my brother and sister like had the pajamas and we've got a very cute picture of them wearing the pajamas. And now like my little niece and nephew can also become Turtles fans and wear the same pajamas probably. I hope those pajamas have been washed. They've been, they've been thrown out is what they've been. But in my head, they'll be in the same, you know, pajamas. Do you remember like when you? they were Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles? Because yes. the yeah. censors thought Ninja was a bad word. Uh, yep. stupid. And you weren't allowed to show people uh, nunchucks. Nunchucks, yeah. using nunchucks on the right. big screen, which yeah. is which is mad which because left, nunchucks are fucking awesome. Yeah, which left Michelangelo fucked. Really Not did. the artist, obviously. He was able to paint without nunchucks. I was going to say, he painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel with, with nunchucks. nunchucks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he dipped one end in the paint and then just spin it around. Yeah, mm. God. That's true. God's <laughs> got nunchucks in his hand. Anyway. I forgot something while we were talking about live action adaptations. Make of way, make way. Dragons. Yeah. There's also, we should make way for the live adap- action adaptation of Moana. Uh, sorry, Helen. It's actually the latest Disney live action animation adaptation, is what you got to say. It's officially what they're called. The La <laughs> Universe. You know, I'm a, you know, I don't. 100% love the fact that we have to keep doing these but if we're going to do it at least get good people involved and get me to write it Thomas Kale, director of Hamilton is apparently lined up for the Moana live action uh, live uh, animation live action animation adaptation live action animation adaptation the Jesus action Christ animation adaptation which was going to have Auli Cravallo return as Moana she's now said she's not going to be doing that uh, I think she thinks maybe she's a little bit too old for it now or she just doesn't want to um, but apparently Dwayne The Rock Johnson will return as Maui so that's good interior island day <laughs> Maui is swinging through the forest. Is that what I he have does? the power of the sun in the palm of my hand, he says. Chris, they have a script already, I'm afraid, so sorry about that. Oh, I've got something. Oh, what's that? I've got something. Uh, they're making an insidious spin off. It's called Thread, hmm. an insidious tale, because uh, if you believe our story on the website, it says a insidious tale, which is grammatically. Incorrect. Maybe grammar is is the villain in the film (laughs) and they have to defeat it. Oh boy. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's Kelsey Grammar playing (laughs) the personification of the further. Uh, So Insidious Chapter 5 is coming out uh, later on this year, directed by Patrick Wilson. Uh, But they're going to do spin-offs now as well. And this one's going to star... Star? 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 Mandy Moore Mm. and Kumail Nanjiani. Mm. 
And it's going to be written and directed by Jeremy Slater, who is the uh, showrunner, sorry, head writer on hmm. Marvel's Moon Knight. Oh, Moon Knight was good. Now, hey, here's my question. Oh, yes, go on. Will it be as scary as the movie Threads, if it's called Thread? <laughs> no. 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 I don't think so either. Uh, no, no. That was a real, real Saturday ruiner, that one, wasn't it? Uh, a husband and wife enlist the help of a spell to travel back in time so that they can prevent the death of her young daughter. Uh-oh. Oh, I predict timey, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff that goes Uh-oh. horribly wrong. I'm seeing butterfly effect all over the place it's right It's not here. just that. They may open the door to a dimension that they do not want to open, and they may no. find that it's difficult to close that door again, Helen. Oh, and no! they may open the door to the further. The further? The further! Is that a thing in the series? Oh, for God's sake, it. Helen. Shall we have another guest? Oh, God, let's... I'm right. sorry. I've so, let you down. This interview hasn't happened yet. Right. But it is going to happen tomorrow. I have a time. It's all been confirmed. Brilliant. And then I have to just get the files and then drop the interview into this podcast, which Perfect. will be lovingly edited overnight on Next to No Sleep. Brilliant. What could go wrong? Bear that in mind when I've left all the libelous bits in. So, cut that bit out, Chris. Don't leave that bit in. Don't leave that bit in. But cut the other bit out. Okay. Now, yes, keep your hand away from the Kit Kats. Put the Coke Zero down. Good. Right. So, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is out today as you're listening to this or yesterday if you're listening to it on Saturday or the day before yesterday if you're listening to it on Sunday and so on and so on and so forth. Uh, But this is, of course, a sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which came out in 2018 and blew everyone's minds. And now they have made a sequel to it. Uh, Lord and Miller are back as producers and writers and the the film continues to tell the story of Miles Morales, who is the Spider-Man of Earth, I want to say 1610? Something like that. Anyway, an alternate Earth. And uh, he is very much in his pomp. And of course, his old pals come come knocking on his door. Gwen Stacy, uh, Spider-Gwen, played by Haley Steinfeld and uh, Peter B. Parker and people like that. But he meets a whole bunch of new spider people in this movie, including Oscar Isaac's Miguel O'Hara. Hey! No relation. Spider-Man 2099 and Spider-Punk, who is a very, very London Spider-Man, played by Daniel Kaluuya. And uh, in this interview, I will have spoken to Daniel Kaluuya, Hayley Steinfeld and Shamik Moore, who are in town right now and who will be at the Empire VIP Club event tonight, or some of them will be. And so this interview hasn't happened yet, but I, I believe... It was amazing. Do please enjoy. Shamik, Haley, Daniel, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you all? So good. Good, good, good. good. I presume you've got the obligatory pointing at each other bit out of the way this morning already. Just to... You haven't done that yet. See, I can't do it. I'm not a spider person. Yeah. So I'm just, just pointing at people. No one's pointing at me back. <laughs> Nobody wants to be me. That's this terrible and pathetic. Uh, so I'm talking to you guys on release day, mm-hmm. which is unusual and exciting. What is release day usually like for you when something comes out, when a project comes out? Do you like to hide? Do you embrace it? Do you go and see it with people? Uh, what do you do? Uh, I think I've always been kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm an introverted person. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty much at the at the house. <laughs> yeah. In hiding. In hiding. <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't. I, I 
I, I guess I don't, it's not necessarily a consistent thing. Um, right. I think with this though, I, I, I would love to sneak into a theater and see this um, with an audience and uh, just, yeah, I think that'd be really exciting. But yeah, there's no um, specific thing that I, I normally do. Yeah, I usually like, I'm always like away, mm -hmm. randomly. I'm always like doing something, but I'm not, I don't mean it, mm -hmm. but I just, I'll be somewhere else, like away from the madness. Mm. So um, it's a bit weird that being here and doing press on the day of release is quite, yeah. it's different for me, yeah. Are there plans for you to sneak into some screenings today in, in London and surprise people? Is that, don't worry, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone. But, no. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case, yeah. Uh, no, but I, we should. <laughs> you should, you should totally, because you, know, you know what? You would not need to pay to get into those screenings. True. You just go, Right, right, right. Come on. <laughs> Can't you tell? Yeah, let us in. Yeah, look at it. We look exactly like we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let us in. very loudly. Free <laughs> yeah. tickets, yeah. Turn up with a guitar, Daniel. You'll be absolutely fine. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll try. Just gay crash the screen. It's where the Hobie gay crashes this movie. He's like he's like a really discordant <laughs> guitar chord that just comes in. He's this jagged character. Yeah. I love this characterization. Mm. Where did they come from for you? Uh, for me, it's like, um, I mean, it was, it was working with like Kemp and... Chris and Phil and honing it, and then like um, characters from Camden Town, like you know, like mm. birthplace of punk. That's where I was born, and that. So mm. like, it's just they were just like, all right, cool, let's cook. And then, it, but it was like, <laughs> it was like, um, but not in the Breaking I was Bad really, way. I was no, really no. conscious of like um, doing a good job and like making sure, like being faithful to like my love of the first film and also the, like the massive fan base, and then understanding Spider Punk and and mm. the comics and that, and then knowing that I was like you're bringing this to the screen for the first time and stuff. So making sure the voice was right. And we're making sure representing London as well. I mean, and I like having all the versions of London slang and dialect within them as well. So like, if you if you know London, you'd understand like little lines and little things that that's happening, but it's not gonna disconnect to a global audience and that. So it was a, it was a lot, it was a lot cooking because you wanted to feel like it was full. Like he was coming in and he comes from, he has his own, Reality, his own world, and boom, which is what we're making up. You know, it's quite, um, it was quite a tall order. Do you know what I mean? So, but it was a great challenge. I was excited, yeah. and and I, I I wanted the challenge, so it was cool. And uh, Haley and Shemek, obviously, this is second time around for you, but there's a few years between this movie and the last one. So, was it tricky to plug back into these characters again? Did you have to search around for them for a little bit before you, you found them? Yes and no. I mean, yes, yeah, there's tons of time that goes in between and there's tons of time that go in between each of our sessions. Um, yeah. This has been, you know, over the last four years, we've been working on these, uh, on this film and on mm -hmm. these characters and, and four plus years uh, with the first one. So yeah, I think um, there's always a bit of like searching for that consistency and that continuity and everything. But I feel like I owe everything to our filmmakers uh, and Kemp Powers, yeah. uh, especially being in those sessions and creating a space in which we could come in from absolutely anywhere in the world, from any other project, from any other whatever, mm -hmm. <laughs> and feel like we were right back where we started. Right. Um, and they have this incredible ability to articulate exactly where we need to be emotionally, mentally, um, mm -hmm. and vocally. <laughs> and Shamik? I concur. That's that's exactly right. That's uh, yeah. I was working on Wu Tang on on this last uh, mm. during across the Spider Verse and uh, just going back and forth between like a lighthearted kid and you know a rap icon was like <laughs> you know it was not like like Haley just said. It really comes down to like Kemp and Phil, you know, and Chris. 
just creating an environment that allows for you to tap in, you know, it's it's, it's loose enough to have fun, you know. And I think that's why it's, it turns out the way that it that it turns out. Because it, you know, the the, the film is, is is an astonishing work of art, and it, you know, but it, the the way that they make it is very very interesting. So yeah. it's it's kind of piecemeal, is in a way for you guys. When was the last time you actually did voice work on this movie? Never mind beyond the spider first but was it was it fairly recently for, for you guys that's clever man I was not I'm not I'm not asking about beyond the spider first I know you're not that's red, the, that's red what red I'm about I respect you I respect you but no uh, um, but, uh, but hey listen if you want to slip in the ending <laughs> go for it um, what was the question again about that no idea no idea exactly because you know what you wanted damn it damn it and the question was when you worked on this movie most recently you know was it a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, or you know, because they're they're finessing right up until it's it's plucked out of their hands, basically. Yeah, they 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 uh, it's never done until it's done, and that's what that's what a lot of artists say that musicians, directors, editors, designers, you know, until it's out there, it's not really done. So, yeah, they 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 turned it in, you know, when they at you know. Right there, right there, <laughs> and, and they have access to everything they need in order to 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 finish it up. But you, you aren't know? done. Basically, you're not going to be voicing this thing live in in theaters. You're not going to be going. We're in. not going to be voicing live in theaters <laughs> and no. overdubbing yeah. at the right. time. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. So, um, wait, I did a Q and A with uh, with Shamik and Daniel last night, and there was a screening. And Daniel, you said you're a huge fan of the original movie, mm-hmm. and you watch it every Christmas. Yeah. Man. Is that, when did that become a tradition for you? What happened? Like it's because I was trying to f- trying to find a film that my niece relaxed on. You know what I mean, so like, <laughs> and then like some certain films are too scary, and then I was just watching, and I thought Spider Verse would be too scary, but then she just engaged, and she was like two and a half or something like that. Okay. She just oh, really, wow. you know what I'm trying to say? And she just locked on, and I was there, I was 32 that time, and I was sitting there, and we was both watching it. I'm like, and I love this film, and I was like, I was like, this film's really special. Because from a two-year-old and a 32-year-old, it's just like oh. engaged. I was like, this is very, very, very special. That's that really made me process like, and there's obviously there's a whole like 15-year-old could be in the middle and they would get something else out mm. of it. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, um, so yeah, I just, and then I just put it on and we just watch it. That's, that's me and my niece's film. We just bang it out. Like, you awesome. know what I mean? Like, so like, uh, we, we just watch it. And then so, um, so that's why I watch it every Christmas. And then even my mom engages with it. Like she don't really do. She sleeps in cinema. Uh, <laughs> sleeps in a lot of. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, but like, and, and my sister. Everyone is just just watching it. It's just like one of those things. Like the whole family can watch. And mm-hmm. I, I just really respect that form of art. I mean, I don't think people like um, really respect art that like all ages can yeah, engage yeah, yeah. with without compromising the integrity of the work. So um, I just, I just, yeah, I just love it. I so now it's it. a Christmas tradition. Yeah, man. That and Sister Act too. Love that. Well, of course, you gotta get back awesome. in the habit. You, yeah, yeah, you on, have to. Part. Is this before or after turkey? We don't do turkey, man. Turkey's too dry, my guy. We do oxtail. Not, not we do oxtail. Oh, okay, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oxtail that's crew, interesting. That's oxtail interesting. Oxtail crew, man. <laughs> Lamb and oxtail. Straight up red meat, you know what I mean? Get the cholesterol up. Up all the way. Up all the way. You gotta do it. You gotta do it right. Uh, Haley and Shmeek, do you, I mean, is this a Christmas tradition for you guys? I mean, can you watch this movie given that, you know, you're, you're the voices? Of it? This movie's on rotation with my nephews. I I, I think I had my moment uh, watching it all the time, but I haven't. I think I watched Into the Spider Verse 
like maybe twice in the last six months, I think, right. you know, but like. It's like I maxed out at 250. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. The, by the like 80th time I've seen the movie, I'm like, okay, okay. I, I get it. I could take a little break. Let's do this one more time. Yeah, yeah, let's do this one more time. But, you know, when you see it again, fresh eyes and stuff, it's like, it's still, it it does what it's supposed to do. Even after seeing the sec- the second one, I can't, it makes you want to go back to the first and then watch the second one again to really get the world mm. that's uh, being painted. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a Harry Potter for me. I, I loved Harry Potter growing up, so I would watch it in, in its entirety. entirety, you know. Well, for, all, all eight. Yeah, why not? Yeah, we. Why not? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I. Yeah, that's I like Harry That's an impressive Potter. binge, my friend. Yeah. That's an impressive binge. I it's like not that. that hard. Just like uh, Naruto, I will sit there and watch Naruto from beginning to end for months. Literally, I, I'm not. I'm like that though. So nothing wrong with that. Haley, what about yourself? Have you been able to watch the first movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I feel like it. It needs to become a Christmas tradition. There's, it does. There's um. At the at the premiere in LA, I I had my the littles, all the littles in my family come and see it, which was so cool. Because at first I was sort of thinking like, I don't know that it's necessarily scary for them, but it'll be loud and it is a lot. And I just you know I was a little nervous, but I I would look over and they were all at the edge of their seat looking up the entire time. I was like, Are you all comfortable? Like <laughs> you can sit back. Nobody's going anywhere. But they were so invested and so engaged. And um, it's so rare to come across something like that. That that covers that um that span of of attention from from these ones to my parents and my my nana was there as well and she loved mm. it so yeah it mm. should it's gonna become one i'm gonna vouch for that a hardy perennial as they say <laughs> over here um i've got to leave the guys going in a second uh but I, i've got to ask and believe me liz is not a stealth way of asking about beyond the spider-verse all right it is <laughs> it's not i promise you okay I took journalism school and everything, so I'm not going to try and sneak past you guys. Uh, but it is a way of asking about the kind of future of of everything, really, because we know that the lines are blurring between animation and live action. And and Haley and Daniel, you have you know live action and animated uh, Marvel characters uh, on your on your CV already. Uh, Secret Wars is coming up in a few years' time. That yeah. feels like a, you know all bets might be off. <laughs> so, are you prepared mentally for scenes in which you play opposite yourself? Um, could Hobie play opposite Wakabi, for example? Could could Gwen Stacy play opposite Kate Bishop? You know, is that something <laughs> that you're prepared for? And Shamik, animated Miles, live action Miles. What do you say? Well, hey, Marvel, what are they on? <laughs> <laughs> they want to. They're like, we'll, we'll talk about it then. But it's whatever's right for the world, whatever's right for the characters, whatever's right for the story. Mm-hmm. So we just serve that, really. Yeah. It's, it's not really. Um, if it's the time comes, and the time comes, and then we'll see what happens. That'd be fun though, wouldn't it? Mm. Be a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> be a vibe. Yeah. All right. The last thing, the last thing is that uh, obviously in the movie, Gwen plays drums, Hope he plays guitar. Could you guys form a band in real life? I mean, I'm my man. You're a big, 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 big superstar here. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know I mean, like, I, I don't know if I can, like, if you're talking big, big, big numbers, what we said, a Billy? A Billy. <laughs> a Billy. <laughs> I got to put some work in before I can even like play with Haley. You know, it's like, you've got to put some respect on her name, you know what I'm saying? It's a billion. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Haley, you could be drums and vocals, obviously. Well, no, I'm going to need some help, y'all. Yeah. All right. Call yourself the Spider Trio. There we go. Very good. All right. Brilliant. 
Well, okay, that's our time. Guys, Shamik, Haley, Daniel, thanks very much indeed. Appreciate Thank that. you. Thank Cheers, you. Guys. Thank you. Okay, so that was Shamik Moore, Haley Steinfeld, and Daniel Kaluuya. I had, slash will have, had, will have a great time with them. Didn't you agree, Helen? <laughs> yes, I will Won't have. Won't you be agreeing? <laughs> <laughs> I will have been going to agree. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Uh, let's talk about movies now. Let's talk about the review section of the show. Let's delve into the review section of the show, actually. And there's only one place to start, and that is with Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Hell's Bells. Woo-hoo. Yes. Um, so as you said already, so this is Miles Morales, Shamik Moore again, um, going around Spider-Manning his way around, fighting, Spider-Man. for example, a new villain called The Spots, um, voiced by Jason Schwartzman. Um, and then his sort of long-lost multidimensional friend, Gwen Stacy, Haley Steinfeld, re-enters his life and reveals that there is a sort of cross-universal, multi-spider-person organization headed up by my cousin, Miguel O'Hara, Oscar Isaac. And um, I don't want to say much more than that about the plot, if I'm honest. Um, I feel like there's there's quite a lot going on here. But um, but it does involve cross-universal travel. It does involve meeting many new spider-persons, as you said. Um, It involves... uh, yeah, Daniel Kaluuya's Spider-Punk and Miguel, of course, and Peter B. Parker, Jake Johnson back again as well. But it also involves a lot of like character work. It involves a lot of actually looking at, you know, where Miles is, where he's going, how he's coping with being a Spider-Person. Also, a, a lot of background on Gwen. We get to see a little bit about her origins, how she got to where she is, uh, you know, a little bit more than those very flip introductions in the last film, which were beautifully done, don't get me wrong, but pretty brief. I think we get to delve a little bit more into her character here and she becomes something closer to a co-lead, I think, in this film. Um, and although it's it's still Miles' story, but she's very much the kind of second lead, I would say. And yeah, so, so we get into, you know, Miles' relationship with his parents. We get into Gwen's relationship with her parents. We get into what it means to be a spider man or a spider person and what it mean what are the sort of essential elements that make you that person in your world um so i i find that fa- fabulous and i find that fantastic but i think again what sets this apart for me is that i couldn't see after the last film really how they were going to up their game i i didn't see how they were going to make the animation more outrageous and more exciting and more you know uh, like nothing we'd ever seen before, given what they'd given us last time. And they they have done all of those things. I think they have given us more, you know, crazy, gorgeous, beautiful ways of seeing the world. They've they've kept the the cartoonishness and the comic bookness and they've they've continued to play with the boundaries of all of that, but they've gone into like full-on art. I mean, not for nothing, but one of the action scenes in this film takes place in an art museum with actual works of art by an actual artist who signed off on their use, um, with a villain who was essentially drawn by Da Vinci. Like, it's it's brilliant. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. And it, it feels like, uh, I remember people kind of, kind of slightly carping when... Um, when up, oh, sorry, when Wally came out, and you remember the the credits of Wally basically go through the whole history of human art, mm-hmm. right? And people were like, I mean, Pixar's basically showing off now. There is an element of they're just showing off now. But this is what is possible when you take a big 
crazy franchise movie that is going to make money. Like, it's going to make money and it's going to do well for the studio and it's going to do all those things. And it is a Spider-Man movie and there are Spider-Persons punching bad guys and evildoers and such. And then you you use the, the, the freedom that knowing that that's going to make money gives you and you use it to make art. Do you know what I mean? You use it to do crazy things. You use it to push the envelope. You use it to take risks and to experiment and to allow people creativity and freedom. You use it to do things that AI, frankly, could never fucking do. I adore that about this movie. And it, it feels like, it, it just feels like it, it sort of almost restores your faith in something. Well, um, I'm sorry, Helen, but this film was actually uh, directed by, so it was written by Phil Lord and Chris Miller and Dave Callahan, who was the uh, the writer of Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm. Uh, those are the credited writers in this, but it was directed it was directed by three new directors. Mm-hmm. So Kemp Powers, who was co-director of Soul, of course. Yeah. Justin K. Thompson, who worked on the previous movie. And uh, Joaquim Dos Santos, mm-hmm. uh, who was an animation veteran. And uh, I'm sorry, Helen, but you can't spell Joaquim without AI. So, oh, God, no. Uh, AI oh, did God, make no. this movie. Anyway, look, my point is that this is everything you want to see in, in a big, crazy superhero blockbuster. Now, I will say it's two hours, 20 minutes. And it does finish, I don't think it's a spoiler to Mm. say, it finishes by reminding you, let's say, that there is a third film coming. Yeah. So some people may be frustrated by that. Um, I think that the the long running time and the long scenes of actual character development of, you know, human beings talking to other human beings means that very small children may be restless at bits. It's not for small kids. No, it isn't. It's but it's for Everyone over the, you know, the age of maybe seven or eight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I feel like, like, because I can see my my small nephew getting a bit bored because he doesn't like people talking to each other unless they're also punching things or running. Fair, um, you absolutely know. fair. Yeah. But um, but at the same, but I think everything else he'd love, and I think everyone who who can sit through a three minute dialogue scene will be fine. Ugh. I, I think I, also as long as you're not prone to being overstimulated as well. Like in terms of sensory overload, there is a lot happening here. This film, like you talk about creative freedom, I think that's exactly what this film is. It feels like the first film they were given an awful lot of latitude to do something new and fresh. And then it was so successful with this one, it feels like they've gone, yep, do whatever the fuck you want. And they absolutely have. It is wild. I Look, I think the first film is great, but I don't love it in the way that some people love it. I've never really felt the need to watch it over and over again. I've I've always thought it was a good film. This one, though, I just... Even by the end, so the, the, there is a prologue to this, which I think it's fair to say features Gwen quite mm-hmm. heavily. Even by the end of that, which is what, 10, 15 minutes, I was just like, oh my God, just everything I've seen. I've seen a movie's worth of just stimulus in the sake of, in the space of 10 minutes and it has already blown my tiny mind. Yeah. And by the time you get to the end of it, I was just like, on the one hand, I'd quite like to see how this overarching story concludes. It's obviously going to conclude in, in Beyond the Spider-Verse. But on the other hand, I was like, I actually almost need to go outside and take a breath because I don't know how much more colour and light and movement my brain can take before breaking because I'd never seen this stuff before. It's extraordinary. But I I feel like, you know, in the same way that um, something like Mad Max Fury Road, you know, used that very central framing Mm. to keep your eye focused where it needs to be, with all of the stuff that's going on, a lot of it is happening around the edges. So if, if you look... Uh, at the edge of people people's faces, you will see the dots of an old cheap comic book color printing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But it's on the edge of the faces. It's just it's there. It's texture. It's extra if you want it. But you don't 
You don't have to focus on that. Yeah. That's that's around the edges. And I feel like a lot of it is that like so without again, I don't think this is a spoiler. In 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 a lot of Gwen's world scenes, it's almost like a watercolor wash mm-hmm. of color yeah, and in it the reflects mm-hmm. and it reflects emotion rather than sort of reality. And and it is it's beautiful and it's gorgeous, but it's just kind of there and it's around the characters. It's not, you know, the characters are still colored the way they're colored. So you can focus on them or yeah. you can kind of take in everything. But yeah, it is a lot, but I didn't feel like it, I didn't feel it, it lost me. In that. But it, it does, weirdly, it puts into perspective a lot of the films that have dabbled in the multiversal pool, right? Mm. Like, I, like I, I'm, I'm, I, Defender might be strong, but I, I enjoyed Multiversal Madness, I think, more than you guys did. But this, more than anything, it shows you how much of a missed opportunity that film was in terms of just being able to just let rip with stylistic flourishes, to just do crazy things, to do things that just, with visual interest, that you just don't expect to see in a film like this. And also, frankly, the deep cuts in this film, like the references come oh so fast. Like you, I mean, it feels like this is the, like the the sort of the cinematic equivalent of reading a Terry Pratchett book where you might get 20% of the gags and the rest will just fly past you. There but then if so you go much, back to yeah, five years, and you'll you're find another more, hundred. Yeah. It's, it's I, incredible, yeah. some of the references. In this. I genuinely would love to see the screenplay for this. I would yeah. love to read the screenplay and see, and see how they formatted it. Presumably it's not interior New York Day, Spider-Man <laughs> swinging through the streets of, of New York. Uh, Spider-Man, I have the power of the sun the palm of my hand. It's yeah. not saying that. You know, there there is so much there going on here. It's typography so, gags. Yeah. yeah, it's so <laughs> dense. Like, how do you do that? There are characters talking across purposes, talking mm. over each other. It's like mm. a Mike Lee film, but <laughs> like, uh, you know, just some sort of weird mutated Mike Lee film. Uh, I realize it's not, doesn't sound like a recommendation for, <laughs> but it is. For, for this film, but it is. It absolutely is. It's, it's kind incredible. of like if a Mike Lee film was bitten by a radioactive Pedro Almodovar film, you know, with the colors and the brightness yeah. and the energy. Yeah. And then both of them were put in a blender by, you know, a superhero guy. You'd get you'd get a mess, but it would yes. be it wouldn't be as good as this. But but there's elements of that it. kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm I'm working on it. It's just it is yeah. It's daring and it's crazy and it's out there and it's still a blockbuster film. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't you know I don't want to sort of oversell it as oh my god it's the beginning of a whole new art scene. It's it is still a Spider-Man movie. It yeah. is very much a Spider-Man movie, but it also takes risks and does things around that. And I think that's what gets us all really excited yes. is we like big, stupid movies. We like things that go boom, but we also like there to be a little bit more going on than that. And that is what this has in like buckets and buckets and spades. Buckets and spades. Um, yeah, I, I'm fascinated. I really want to see this again. I, I think mm. the spoiler special, we're trying to get some special interviews with the uh, film with three directors and Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, and we'll keep you posted on that if you subscribe to the Spoiler Specials. If you don't, you should, because, my God, there's some good stuff coming up over the next four weeks, four to six weeks. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're hoping to make that happen uh, because I just want to talk to them and get you know, get an insight into their, their creative process. But even even so, without that, just talking about this movie is going to be mind-blowing, but we'll need at least a second or third. I would love to go frame by frame. I'd yeah. like, And obviously that's not possible until, you know, it comes it's out not. on, on yeah. Blu-ray or whatever. But I mean, there are, there's just so much here. It's so rich. Yeah. I just want to get into it. Oh. There's so much going on. Uh, that said, I think I prefer the first movie at this point in time. Okay. At this point in time. And I realize that that is a fairly minority opinion on on this movie, judging from the reaction on on Twitter so far that everyone... Most people think it's it's better than the first. Well, the, I think this one, I think it's it's maybe I think possibly first of all that can might change on the second view. It might. It, it might, might also change once we see 
you know the sort of conclusion of this trilogy. We think. Um, I th- I feel like the first one obviously had its novelty value for us. It had um, just the surprise. None of us were expecting that from that film. Let's be honest. None of us thought it was going to be that great. Um, and also the f- the first film was a bit more maybe contained a bit more um, a bit more. Uh, concentrated, perhaps this this one does meander at times. There are some there are some scenes, like I say, that are going to bore the younger kids um, because they they do take the time out that we often say we want in superhero movies and just talk about things and you know linger on things. I'm, I'm not saying that's your criticism, but you know I feel like that's um, that does make it feel longer and at times more leisurely than a lot of this kind of film. Um, and of course, there is the fact that it you know it it does rely on you having seen one and going to see three next year. So there's a little yeah. bit of that syndrome maybe going on as well. We'll get but, into it. I mean, it's terrific. It's absolutely terrific. We gave us five yeah. stars. It's very, very hard to disagree, but I I do think that the first is is the better movie <gasps> for me at this point in time. I I, I, I would strongly I disagree, but that is okay. Yeah. I'm I'm I, I don't care which is the better one. Yeah. I don't care about ranking. I just love this with my whole heart. It's good that we have them. Uh, let's move on to the boogeyman. We like things that go boo. Boogeyman. We also like things that go boo. Don't blame it on the sunshine. Don't blame it on the moonlight. Blame it on James Dyer. James, <laughs> you brought your shears. Are you going to snip this movie a new one or did you like Rob Savage's first proper big screen foray into horror it after is. Host and Dashcam? Isn't it? So this is based on the 1973 Novella, wow. isn't it? Is it a novella or a short it's story? A short story, short story, story. by 12 Stephen pages. King. Yeah. Uh, 12 pages. This is more than 12 pages long. Um, so this essentially starts Chris Messina as a, uh, as a psychiatrist. And at one point, as he is wont to do, David Dasmalchian wanders into his practice and tells him that he did not kill his children, that something else did. And that's something else. Then you seems to take that opportunity to latch on to him and his family. Uh, his family, of course, played by Sophie Thatcher, uh, who from who you all know from Yellow Jackets, plays Natalie in Yellow Jackets, and uh, Vivian Lyra Blair, who is young Leia from Obi Wan Kenobi. And yes. let me tell you, if you think she ran away from people effectively in that, she does it even more so in this. <laughs> Obi Wan, indeed, Obi Wan Kenobi. And essentially, they are stalked by a creature that lives in the dark. Now, is it Darth Maul? It is Darth Maul. The thing with this film is this. It's like, is it well made? Yes. It is very competently made. It has a sense of humour to it. There's a playfulness to it. It's really competently put together. It's well directed. It's just quite generic. And I think the reason why that stands out is because Rob Savage is a director who has been anything but up until this point. And I think he's established himself as someone who has interesting ideas and pursues interesting projects and has a, a, a sort of distinctive eye for horror. Whereas this feels like something I've seen many, many times before, even though it's well put together. Mm. Uh, it has some lovely moments in it, the fact that uh, the youngest daughter has this little, little sort of like moon-shaped nightlight that she can kind of roll along the floor. It's used in the trailer quite a bit, but that's a really nice device. Um, but the whole thing is around, it's a creature that lives in the dark, it doesn't like the light, it likes the dark, and it's gradually trying to kill them all. Like, it's fairly straightforward. You're not afraid of the dark, are you? Indeed. You do Vin wish the Riddick would turn up and, and find it. <laughs> you know, I, I was scared more in pitch about I, the, I, the scares Come on. Come on. Decent-ish, but I wasn't particularly... Like, it relies on jump scares, I think. Like, I wasn't in any way chilled or unsettled by this film. It's old, good old-fashioned jump scares. It's dark, she rolls the light, there's a monster shown in the light, boo. You know, barely showing in the light. Barely showing in the light. You don't visible. see an awful lot of it, but then, you know, that's what you'd want from a monster. Mm. I think it was, again, I got to the end of this film, I was like, it was fine. It was fine. It was really well made, but I just felt it was... It was as uninspired, unfortunately, as the title is. The title is very generic and wrote, and I felt the film was a little bit as well. So I read this 
story in mm. Night Shift in the book. In um, 1973. It, well, I'm not that old, thank you very much. Yeah. But um, it, I read it as a kid and I locked my wardrobe door, an old-fashioned wardrobe with a lock on it. I locked my wardrobe door every night for the next decade or more. I no longer have that wardrobe or I would probably still be doing Question, it. Question, why do wardrobes have locks on them? Look, I don't know. It was an old wardrobe. I don't know. They used for to keeping have... unruly children in clearly. Perhaps, yeah. Have you seen the, uh, um, the very first episode of Inside Number Nine uh, plays with that? Two very, it? very chilling. To... <laughs> my point is that the story got way under my skin and freaked yes. me the fuck out because yes. because it was entirely it's... due to that story that I did that for ten years. Like, so this, yeah, the story so, in case this you don't feels know. tangential to that story though. Well, there's, it? yeah. there's elements. Yeah, yeah. The, the, so in the story, it's basically the the Dasmalchian character talking to the psychiatrist yeah. character. That is the, the that is the, the the backbone of the story, and there is no there aren't the two two daughters. That isn't a thing. He's just talking about what happened to his family, and then there's a sort of twisty bit at the end, um, which they play with a little bit here, but yeah. not in the same way. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of I certainly. Um, was into it. I was scared by it, but I didn't feel. But it did feel like just another mm. family horror movie. You know, family stalked by thing in dark in house, which we have seen a lot. You're right. So, mm. so I kind of wish that maybe they had found a way to to come up with a structure as original as the story itself. What what is here is good and it is well done and there are good performances from everybody. Yeah. And Sophie Thatcher is great. Like, yeah, really and I good. want to see her doing more things because she's one of the best things in Yellow Jackets. So, but I but I feel like um yeah maybe just didn't have the 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 edge of the mm. story itself. I also have like, and it is a bugbear of mine, and I know it happens a lot in horror films, but when characters are so relentlessly stupid continuously, it bugs me. Like, it pulls me out of the film. Like, I can, I'm on board that there's a mysterious monster that dwells in the dark. I can 100% buy that. I cannot buy you someone. Think it eats fingers. It may well eat fingers. <laughs> I, I can't buy someone just wandering around in the dark for no apparent reason without thinking to bring a torch. I, I just, just, yeah, I really I'm wanted like, some come torches. Come the fuck on. You've got a mobile phone. I wanted some, like, I mean, you can get these, like, cheap LED strips right. and just string just them around yourself. Like, like just, come on, guys. Yeah, it just, and again, it's just that level of stupidity. You need a certain amount of stupidity in all horror films because otherwise people just run away and never come back and that's the end of your story but it's just there has to be a point where they believe like you like a human could behave and not like a plot device could and I felt this didn't walk that yeah. line very well if, if, the, if the light doesn't go on in the room you don't go into no, the room like, you don't, I don't just sit there oh the light doing? doesn't work I'll just wander in anyway and feel my way through this dark where this demonic creature lives sure go for it this is Darwinism in action this is why influencers will outlive us all because they all have those ring lights. Exactly, they do. Yeah, yeah all yeah. of them, every yeah. single one of them. And they, but they also like, and this is a bugbear of mine as well. They also have houses. No, they oh. also have houses that have good lighting generally, and this house has terrible lighting. That is why the, it really does. The boogeyman is able to. Oh my god! You yeah. should have a scene with the boogeyman goes through the house, going, mm, "Yes, like it, dingy. Yes, dark yeah. corner. Mm, very good." Yeah. Like, I know, I know that it's unfashionable to turn on the big light when you have company. But frankly, if there's a demon in the house, just do it. Also, Turn it on. They don't even have like a bunch of other lamps. They just have like <laughs> one small lamp in the corner. Come on, guys. Yeah. Infest in proper lighting. Yeah. I, I liked it. It made me jump a number of times. Mm. And that's, I think, pretty much what, what Savage was setting out to do. So it did, it did scare I, I was scared. But like I say, yeah. I, I also brought my own baggage. So it's hard to ju- for me to judge how much of that was the scariness of the story and how much of it was the scariness of the film. But that's I think right. it was a scary film. I think so it's a, certainly for me, it is one of the better Stephen King adaptations. And uh, yeah, we gave us four stars. It scared Kim Newman enough. Okay. And if you can scare Kim Newman, then you're doing well because Kim knows his horror he onions. Does. He really does. Mm. 
Uh, four stars then for the Boogeyman. And spoiler alert, we're also going to go for four stars for reality. It's a reality check because the next film is reality. Helen? Yeah. Tell us about this dose of reality. So this is the story of Reality Winner, who is played by Sydney Sweeney. Best what an amazing name ever. It is, and that is her genuine, genuine birth name. name. Yeah, genuine yeah. birth name. This was not somebody who decided to grow up and call themselves something, something cool. Spoiler um, for the film, but she does not win at reality. Th- that is true. I mean, spoiler for reality, because it is based on reality <laughs> as well as being the story of reality, um, as it were. This is a really fascinating approach to a real-life uh, person who was working as a translator at the National Security Agency when there was, let us say, a leak. And um, it's directed by Tina Satter and uh, based on her play, but it's also based on, or taken directly from, mm. the transcripts of the interrogation of reality winner of of Sydney Sweeney's character and yes a real person um by the FBI so it's it's basically they transcribed they recorded and transcribed the entire conversation and that is what gives us this and it is brilliantly brought to life it's a really unusual way of of approaching something like this um but the fact that she literally cuts to the transcript sometimes, so you know that mm. she's not making this shit up, and that this even is even the coughs, like every single everything, sound. everything mm. written down, um, and and that it's so it's this combination of absolutely underplayed, very grounded, very um, literally realistic stuff, and then you know the the kind of crazy uh, big ideas and the crazy. Um, the crazy consequences of all this, I think, is is really fascinating. But yeah, making a film out of such a, a strong commitment to reality and at least two hmm. senses of the word, I think, is 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 quite astonishing. Um, and it really puts you right in there. It really puts you, you know, into the middle of this situation and trying to figure out, you know, what to do and how to deal with it. And uh, and right there alongside her. And it's a great, great performance from Sidney Sweeney, you know, not overplayed at all. I hadn't particularly seen her. I know she's one of the sort of big hype people at the moment from Euphoria, Euphoria mostly. Yeah. But um, but I can absolutely see what all the fuss is about after this. She's she she gives a fantastic performance here. But yeah, what what a great way to to sort of um use cinema, not in a sort of big showy, you know large scale way but in a really dialed back dialed down they're basically they spend a lot of the film in a blank room three people talking mm. all of them dressed in really boring clothes yeah with no furniture no furniture not really not really you know barely made up if at all just having this conversation based on a real conversation it's it's really 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 impressive but mm. also it does kind of it is thought provoking it is engaging it is kind of terrifying at times. But also fair play to them for what they've done with this material because it's yeah. not a particularly adversarial interrogation. Mm-hmm. It's basically a conversation. Uh, but it's interspersed with comedy about her pets and a cat that won't get out from under the bed and things like that. And this is all taken, as you say, from the transcript. It's it's stressful. They use a few interesting stylistic flourishes like the redacted material is redacted, mm-hmm. but at points you see Sweeney kind of almost like sort of like fritzes out of the frame when there's a redacted line that they can't have in there about what the document was about or who she specifically sent it to. Uh, it's really, really interesting. Mm. It's also, it's a tight, what, 80 minutes? Yeah, by too, yeah. Yeah, it's a, With it's, credits. It's a, it's a short film. It is a short film. But it's really, really gripping. And it, But on paper, I wonder whether it, it doesn't really sell itself that well. Mm. It's like, oh, it's a dramatization of an FBI transcript where a woman 
essentially is accused of a crime, comes home from the gym and essentially there's two, two very polite FBI men on her lawn who very politely say they have a search warrant and then very kindly try and get her to confess to a crime. But it, it's much more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Right? It's, it's partly the performance, it's partly the style, but it, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great little mm. film. Not, yeah. like nothing I'd ever seen before, actually. Mm. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, the fritzing thing, I, I, I think, is yes for redacted lines as well, but also there's a sense as things... Uh, as she begins to get more and more hemmed in by her mm. precarious situation, that she's basically just fritzing herself out of reality uh, in a way that she's she's literally taken, and metaphorically she's taken her mind elsewhere just mm. for a second, you know, and then coming back mm. I- into into the situation. Yeah. I thought it was absolutely terrific. And props to Josh Hamilton and Marshawn Davis as well as the two sort of yeah. principal FBI agents who essentially drive this interrogation. Mm-hmm. Because again, I think the, both of them, they embody a certain type of sort of firm. They, you can tell, see what they're doing. Like they, They're trying to corral her into incriminating herself. But it's not a good cop, bad cop situation. It's just two professionals trying to kind of weave their way to the truth. It's mm. uh, it's interesting, I guess, mainly as a counterpoint to what we would describe as traditionally cinematic interrogation yeah, scene, and so. it feels very different from that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. This is not a room. This is not like a harsh, harshly lit room with you know tables and and some rudimentary chairs. There's mm. not even any chairs. Yeah, it's just yeah. like a dirty back bedroom that she doesn't normally use. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was terrific, and uh, we gave this one four stars. Yeah. I'm fully in uh, alignment with that. Uh, she's now out of prison, I believe. Yes, yes, she is. Yeah. She's on on I see, limited release until 2024 or supervised release. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for this week. Uh, anything else you want to mention? There's a Noel Coward documentary out. Yeah, uh, Mad About the Boy, Noel yep. Coward story. Um, it's a, a, a well-produced documentary. Lots of original footage of him, lots of original um, you know, home videos and then TV appearances. But then also uh, you've got Alan Cumming narrating and you've got Rupert Everett reading sections of his diaries and so on. So it it's a good kind of trip through a very long, very eventful life. I mean, mm-hmm. they spend basically no time on his time as a spy. It's that packed a story. But if you don't know much about Noel Coward, uh, the great playwright, mm-hmm. uh, songwriter and everything else, and would like to know more, it's a very good place to start. A brief encounter with him, if you, if you will. If you will. If you hey. will. If you will. Mm-hmm. Hey. Mm-hmm. Google Nicely done. Uh, oh, brief encounter. I'll use that. Uh, okay, so that's also out in cinemas. And uh, as I mentioned earlier on, Carmen is out digitally this week as well. Should you wish to go see Carmen? We don't have an official Empire review of that, though. Uh, all right, that is it. On that note, that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... We're getting into the silly season of summer and me overbooking like a motherfucker. And so we're going to be joined by a whole bunch of people next week. We're going to be joined by the star of Chevalier, Kelvin Harrison Jr. We're going to be joined by the director of Flamin' Hot, the story of how the Flamin' Hot brand of Cheetos was invented, Eva Longoria. Nice. And hopefully we're going to be joined by the stars of Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Dominique Fishback and Anthony Ramos. Oh, not not the big gorilla. Not the big gorilla, no. or indeed Optimus Prime. My name is Optimus Prime. <laughs> no disrespect intended to Anthony Autobots, or Dominique. roll out. Interior, Cybertron, day. <laughs> uh, anyway, until then, until we meet again, until at a auspicious, I was going to say official occasion, until at a auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such, or one and three quarters <laughs> yeah. colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, James Dyer, goodbye. Uh, goodbye. If you find part of my finger, please do post it back to the Empire <laughs> office. Oh, God, no, preferably don't. Preferably packed in ice.
Nobody wants too late bits now. of flesh to be it's turning up in the office. I'm just saying, if you find it, if you happen to stumble across it somewhere, just please return it to its rightful owner. Or just pop it into a frying pan and have done with it. Don't oh no, this is getting worse and worse. We don't want bits of flesh turning up in the office. What do you think James tastes like? I Dune. think I he taste tastes like, like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I taste like the spice melange. <laughs> the spice will flow. It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Good God. Toodaloo. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to buy Jimbo a gift. Is it finger a finger gloves. puppet? <laughs> <laughs> Chinese finger trap. Yeah. I could get out of that really easily now. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. 